You're listening to Spinning Around with Haile Minogue on Area 3000. Welcome back to the second half of our show on this beautiful Monday evening. Big thank you to our first guest tonight, Dors, for coming on the show and delivering such a buzzing and vibrant mix to our station this month. It has been an absolute pleasure. And folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you once again, as always, for tuning in to our airwaves for more conversations and mixes with dance music's latest and greatest. My next guest is, in my opinion, one of the most important figures to keep an eye on in the Australian electronic scene. She is an FBI Radio 2019 graduate who has now become a fully realized artist with a passion for arranging sonic textures that emanate powerful and moving statements. As a DJ, she has residencies with Nomad Radio, Tianjian, and has played a slew of gigs across Canberra and New South Wales. Not only that, but she is also a passionate advocate for cleaner environmental policies and social justice. She also has a new track out in collaboration with E. Fishpool on the new Weird Australia compilation, which was the opening track on our show today. She's expressive, intelligent, and super fucking cool. My guest is none other than Alicia Weatherby, a.k.a. Hazy Ma. Hey, Alicia. Welcome to the Having show. Having me. Of course. Of course. It is an absolute pleasure. Uh, we have been trying to get you on the show for many, many months, but you have remained elusive. But we are very, very happy to have you here, and I am very honored to have the opportunity to be able to speak to you today. I want to ask you a quick question just to start off with. Uh, what does Hazy Ma mean, and why did you choose that as your name? Hazy Ma means um, Black Sesame in Mandarin, and I chose the name because it is actually one of my favorite desserts Ooh. to um, an incredible herb as well. And it just quite felt quite fitting and a little bit kind of dark. Nice. I have, I have a lot of questions lined up for you, but I am interested to talk a little bit more about this. When you go to Yum Cha, what are you picking out? What are your go-tos, your must-haves? Yum Cha has changed so much for me um, since being um, vegetarian. Oh, oh, no. No chicken feet for you. Love chicken feet. <laughs> I... I think my favorite vegetarian um, dishes would probably be um, vegetarian dumplings, but then also um, like churn fun. Nice. Have you been recently? Um, I have, um, especially like post um, party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just like a really beautiful time to spend with like friends. I am really, really, really uh, enamored with your music. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And the way that you uh, are able to arrange a lot of your stuff is so creative to me. I want to ask, what got you into music? I've kind of always been um, into music throughout my whole life. It's just been a part of um, sharing. It's been a part of community. Um, it's And especially like as I've... Um, looked into like um the underground or like alternative music scene and especially like looking for like queer spaces as well music is a way to create like collective spaces where people um can actually have a shared experience and kind of celebrate together um and when there's intention involved in the space have spaces that they can feel safe and grounded within um as well and meet bodies like theirs mm. in relation to dance music in particular um i just find it as a way of like sharing skill sharing sharing of like music between friends um based on like how people are feeling like mm. it can really shape the way that you move through the world and i think that it makes my world like so much more full <laughs> do you remember uh, the first time that you felt safe at a gig? I remember going to a 
um, cool room gig in Melbourne. And I just remember walking into a space that had the embodiment of safe space policies. It had so much thought into it as well, like a lot of um, like quite a diverse lineup, um, really considered space as well, having like safety officers around, having the people that are part of organizing the party be present there as well. Like that's kind of how you like so many questions about how safe space policies can be like played out. Like if you don't have familiar faces there where you can actually turn to and ask for help, but there is some sort of like checking in. So I just remember walking into um, a cool room, part, cool room party many years ago. And that was actually one of the first parties that I felt so relaxed in. I'd like to also ask you in regards to your music, why is your music so dark? You don't seem like a very, how do I say, heavy personality. I mean, what is it about really dark and heavy music that really makes you feel inclined towards that way? It's a, an extension of my Pisces energy. <laughs> I like being taken when I'm like listening to music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of naturally fell into enjoying like especially like industrial techno I was so enamored by it like the way that I could just like listen to it and kind of feel like I've just been like consumed by it Mm. when I was growing up I listened to a lot of like I had a bit of a (laughs) heavy metal (gasps) really me too yeah yeah, 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 intense like rock music and then kind of transitioning into electronic music um I do see like industrial techno kind of embodying a lot of those like characteristics as well. Um, I really like kind of the way that it can pull you into almost like a trance and there's like a rhythmic element to it. Um, So I kind of ended up moving into that space as well. And then like rave and hardcore kind of branched out from that. Can we talk about your heavy metal face? Because I I also went through a very, very, very beautiful um, heavy metal, death metal phase um, back in high school. What were the bands that you got into and uh, did any of them change your life in any way? Um, Back in the day, um, I quite enjoyed Escape the Fate and Parkway Drive um, as well when I was growing up. Uh, you were a graduate of the FBI Radio Dance Class 2019. Can you tell me about that experience? I mean, what was the FBI Dance Class about? Um, FBI Dance Class is a mentorship program put out by um, FBI and they train um, a number. Uh, they have a traineeship program where they teach skills in relation to how to be um, a DJ and kind of ancillary things to that um, as well. So there was training in um, mixing, event organizing, um, like general administration and things outside of like how to, um, like especially the business side of being a DJ, Mm. making sure that you're actually treated with kindness and the respect that you deserve in that space, um, which is so important. Um, And then also, learning like record box and some basic like Ableton. Mm. At the end of that program, um, we, um, each of the graduates um, did a um, event and you could partner with somebody or do an event on your own as well with a budget and then play at the event um, as well. Um, We're also paired with a mentor and my mentor was um, Andy Garvey. Oh, no way. Wow. Yeah, she she was such an incredible um, mentor and were able to um, be there for radio. So there was like radio skills um, in relation to that. So 
um, Julia, Julia, another graduate, and I um, sat with um, Andy and Mia um, for pure space and we kind of learnt kind of what radio actually, like, <laughs> took, which is it, it is so much work. It is a lot, yeah. I think that program was actually one of the first times that I had teachers that were generous with sharing because in the space of um, dance music when I was interested in learning, it was quite difficult to get people not only was there like a lot of gatekeeping and inaccessibility in that space but there was an inability for people or like an inaccessibility of like having people want to share knowledge and and that like the dance music scene in Canberra had kind of just started up it was dominated by white dudes Mm -hmm, (laughs) that mm -hmm. were very much trying to perpetuate kind of like the vinyl bro culture it's Uh, it's still there now but there's alternative spaces as well which um I'm so grateful for. Did you have a hand in sort of building that scene as well? I mean, I I know that you're a very humble person and you might not admit it, but did you have a lot of involvement when it was sort of growing up? I think everyone kind of took a part in it um, as well. Um, I've done teaching through collectives such as Vessel, which is a um, femme collective out of um, the Australian National University that would provide spaces that preferenced um, femme and POC um bodies Mm. wanting to learn skills um in djing and then also providing access to equipment as well Mm. finding opportunities there and after so i did um some teaching in that space and then also did a few talks um as well about experiences um and things in that space um i kind of have helped out with um a few parties um but i think everyone kind of collectively has been part of that space. Um, I'm always kind of keen to teach any <laughs> femme POC First Nation bodies um, mm. how to DJ if anyone's mm. interested um, and make sure that like the barriers that I had aren't faced by other people as well because they're systematic and problematic and I don't want to play into that as well. So I'm trying to um, build a culture of sharing, nice. making sure that like people get tips on invoicing or like if people <laughs> wanted to get any legal tips that's that's how you grow a scene you know like that's how the local scene is going to have any chance of becoming a standout across like international um reflections of uh, the music that we're doing i mean uh why do you think because i've thought about this for a while and i still can't figure out the answer why do you think people gatekeep in this scene what's the what's the motive behind it scarcity mindset (laughs) What a stupid mindset. I think when I first started, there was a lot of gatekeeping because there was, like, the scene was seen as being, um, like, I think there was a lot of elitism, Mm. clout chasing. I remember, like, Mm. wanting to learn from, like, um, an Mm ex-partner. So shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember, like, um, like, learning to DJ (laughs) later on and then realizing that they were, like, actually a little bit shit. And part oh. of the reason why they didn't want to share was because they they wanted to use that ambiguity in order to continue in that space as well and make sure that they took up all of those opportunities. Right, and so, right. like, I'm just frustrated because, <laughs> like, <laughs> how much gatekeeping was involved in that situation as well. I was yeah. like, if, if I taught a student and they were better than me within, like, a month, I would be so happy for them. Yeah. And, like, that's what I would like. <laughs> I, I agree with that mindset totally. The thing is, I, now that you say this, it makes sense to me. If you teach someone and they turn out to be better than you, is that not the best outcome 
not just for yourself, but also for the music scene that you are trying to participate in as well, because you've uncovered someone who has an immense talent, who is potentially better than you, but that's neither here or there. At the end of the day, the reason why we do this is because we love music. And how can you truly say that you love music if you are going to hold it back like that? You know what I mean? You have to let it fly and bring in as many of the best opportunities as you possibly can, not only to the people there, but also to the scene itself as well. You know, imagine if imagine if you never got the teaching that you got from Andy Garvey, you know, where would you be now? You know, where would the scene be now without Hazy Ma? You know, I think that like a lot of the issues around um, gatekeeping stem actually from um, a lot of like <laughs> it's from you know, colonial mentalities. It's a lot of like, um, a lot of gatekeeping notions of scarcity and notions of power and stuff as well. And when there's like money and stuff involved, it becomes like an extra level of complexity in that space as well. And I completely agree. Hey, speaking about the scene, I know that you do a lot of work, uh, with environmentalism and you're, continuously contributing from a professional sense um, towards better policies, not only for the environment, but also for women in the environment as well. I wanted to ask you, because I've had a conversation with Ham about this before. Shout out, Sam. Um, Hope you're doing well. Uh, Very first episode of Spinning Around back when it was on Lossless. I wanted to ask you, what do you think the electronic music scene should do to fully realize its potential in sustainability? That's actually a really interesting question. I think acknowledging and respecting place is something that's extremely um, important. Mm. And when there is that level of understanding and respect, um, then that kind of builds how people interact with that space as well. Um, I've seen festivals where they've put in sustainability practices, so ensuring that people clean up after themselves, Mm. understanding the impact that people can actually have, um, for example, like nangs, for example, Mm. when it's used for grazing later can get stuck in um, animals like hooves and things Mm. and having regeneration programs um, for those periods and also isolating it to like the same area, (laughs) not um, moving it to like another space as well. Um, I recently attended um, a festival called Eurobadella Music um, Review. that was located um, on Yuan country and they had um, probably one of the, it has been one of the most beautiful acknowledgements of countries that um, I've ever been to. Um, And they had um, a number of elders come and speak and that kind of set like, just like an understanding of like place when Mm. um, the festival began as well. And people were very considerate of like the space and the way they moved through that space as well. In a world where music and movement, especially with electronic music, is now so connected, how do you sort of see the connection between human movement and sound? Um, And how do you think that connects to mindfulness Mm. just as an abstract concept? I think music and sound can create space and atmosphere and kind of draw you into a certain mindset. Um, I actually am a qualified yoga teacher. Wow, <laughs> nice. Which is actually why I did the, um, I did like a yo- Ashtanga yoga video um, with mm-hmm. um, a Canberra videographer, um, Jane Inyang, um, a few years ago now. Um, nice. I think sound 
can be such an incredible way to um, define space and define the intention of that space as well. So mm. when sound is used in like, for example, in like a studio or like a yoga practice as well, um, you can kind of embody <laughs> the energy that's created from like that um, sound as well, yeah. especially quite deep, like ambient and reflective sounds can like you can bring that intention into the space and it also defines the way like I guess some of the intentions of the practice how do you practice mindfulness nowadays do you still do yoga I do um as much as I can I'm still recovering from an injury so I'm kind of slowly making my way back into practicing yoga I have like a deep meditation practice um I did Vipassana um, a number of years ago now, mm-hmm. which is the it's like a ten day silent. Um, oh, you did one of those! Wow, <laughs> what was that like? Probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Right, just because ten days of being with your own thoughts, um, you're kind of to get to a point of stillness, you kind of have to process a lot of thoughts that you can kind of put on the shelf right. in day-to-day life and day-to-day busyness as well. So I had Mm. to really (laughs) do some deep reflection before I could get to a point of stillness, which was a kind of closer to the end of those 10 days. Do you feel like you came out of it better? I never was able to even sit down for 10 minutes before I could, before I uh, undertook um, the Vipassana uh, meditation Mm. course. Um, And afterwards, um, and I'm still to this day able to sit for an hour and just be within that practice Mm. and there is a way that meditation allows you to get to a point of stillness and create a space for yourself um as well and you can bring that into your day-to-day life um as well I think I normally like practice uh, when I get into a routine I I try to practice in the morning Mm. and it kind of allows me to check in on my in on my body and check in on where my mind is. So if I'm sitting there and I'm just like sad thoughts, <laughs> then I will mm. go into the day understanding that that's where my headspace is and then kind of managing that rather than sometimes when uh. I don't practice, I go into the day and I'm working that out. And sometimes you can kind of get more anxious. Right. You're kind of unsure of where your mind is at that point in time. So I really find that beneficial. And I also, when I had my injury last year, I wasn't able to. I was in a neck brace. I wasn't oh, able wow. to like move very much. Um, so being able to sit and meditate, I was just grateful that I'd established that practice as well. Uh, let's talk about race. As an Asian Australian female, did you ever? What, what? Sorry. What was your reaction to the Atlanta shooting that happened when uh, that that motherfucker shot up? Um, a whole bunch of people, uh, mostly consisting of Asian women. What was your reaction to that? Um, I still feel quite upset. It still makes me quite upset as well. Um, we cannot talk about this if you want. Um, I'm actually I'm pretty comfortable talking about it. Cool. Cool, I think cool, cool, that it still okay. is something that like embodies a lot of like emotion um, as well because it is very like close to home. Um, like a lot of especially it just plays into like a lot of assumptions as well. Um, A lot of, I think that, uh, so the shootings were 
the end product of a lot of systematic issues that were already mm. kind of playing out on the ground um, yeah. and a lot of like directed hate. And this is something that's embodied day to day by Asian bodies all around mm. um, America. And unfortunately it's in Australia as well. Mm. And I think in that space in particular, there was a lot of assumptions um, around um and also just like the exploration of like being an Asian presenting woman in um, working in the massage space, mm. also the sex worker space as mm. well. And like mm. the differences and a lot of like, just like the, yeah, a, a lot of like the assumptions of what Asian bodies should be or like assumed to be like within that space. Yeah. A lot of, Asian migrants will choose to do beauty work or like work in like massage or like sex work as well, because that, that might be the only option that they have when they're within a certain space as well. And that's kind of um, something that's um, yeah. Makes it even more deeply <laughs> sad as well. Cause I have yeah. family that have been, that have worked in that space um, yeah. as well. Um my parents are also Chinese medicine practitioners and the assumption of massage and sex work is something that kind of comes to the forefront as well that I think is like, yeah, very problematic. <laughs> um, can I ask you, your father, I believe, is uh, English and your mother is Cantonese. Has it been difficult not only from an internal perspective, but from an external perspective to be able to uh, reconcile those two parts of yourself um, in terms of race. So obviously we can see ourselves as uh, fighting the good fight when it comes to race issues and hatred against Asian Australians or Asian Americans or Asian wherever. But being of this half and half yourself, how has that affected the way that you sort of process things or has that even affected the way you process things? I think the experience of um, living in, growing up in like a biracial household is very specific. Mm. There is so many different things that kind of come out. <laughs> um, you have like differences in like um, cultural eth and eth like ethnic ways of living, um, but also being uh, there's also power dynamics that come out from open, like society. Mm. I think growing up and being biracial, the experience of racism has shifted throughout my life. Right, right. Obviously, when like racism is contextual based because somebody racializing a body is actually somebody superimposing assumptions upon you. Mm. And ethnicity is like from your self choosing. Mm. I think the way that I've been racialized has been different in different contexts as well. And as I've grown up, it's changed as well as I have actually grown into more white uh, character, deemed whiter characteristics. So mm. I would have been deemed more white passing as well. And then that has conflict internally where I have a certain ethnicity and way of existing, but then I have all of these assumptions put upon me, mm. which is a huge issue in relation to, being racialized as well because it's not out of your own choosing some like sometimes the assumptions take away not only your autonomy but it's 
it shapes the way people see you, like you're seen with inaccuracy and that mm. has a whole myriad of different impacts as well. Uh, I know that this is a common experience for biracial people. Have you ever had the experience where you felt too white for your Chinese brethren and then too Asian for your white brethren? I have. Sometimes I feel like I need to like overshare mm -hmm. <laughs> in order to make sure that I've been seen with accuracy. And I think I'm still trying to like navigate that tension as well. So like I guess unlearning aspects of um, like shame associated with my culture that I mm. might not actually agree upon, but I've embodied because of the way that I've grown up in a very racist part of Australia. I grew up in the Sutherland Shire, so mm. left a whole series of imprints upon me, which I'm going through and still going through the process of unlearning and relearning. It's interesting because I've lived in China um, throughout my life as well. Yeah. And I like even in when I'm in China, being racialized and being told that, um, or like being assumed to be a white person as well as I've grown older has had its own challenges. Yeah, there's just like a there's there's a whole yeah, a whole lot of different experiences that sure. are born out of that. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I know that it's um, it can be a bit tough to talk about, especially with all of the fucking crazy shit going on against Asian people nowadays. But no, I can I can relate to you on uh, this upbringing in an environment where uh, you are surrounded by mostly white bodies, and uh, thus you are sort of seen as an outsider, as an alien of sorts, um, despite being born and raised in the same country that they were. So I get that. No, thank you for sharing. Talk to me about Democracy and Colour, because I know that you're currently doing a campaign with them at the moment. Uh, what's your work with them and what do they do? So Democracy and Colour is a economic and racial justice organisation which is led by people of colour. Um, they undertake a whole... Um, myriad of different strategies um, around Australia and making sure that there's... Um, like multiple perspectives within that space as well, so that there's a lot of um, knowledge creating in relation to and and information in relation to specific and responding to specific um, contextual things, mm. political contextual things. Um, and then there's also community building um, as well. So um, I just organised a zine last year um, mm -hmm. Illustrated by Judy Quo, an amazing illustrator. <laughs> nice. Shout out to Judy. Shout out to Judy. <laughs> You're doing great stuff. Thank you so much. And um, so that zine series will be kind of looking at um, specific frameworks um, that community organizations can embody and kind of touch on um, specific issues as well. So that's going to start mm -hmm. being a bi-monthly um, zine series. So that has a creative aspect to it as well. So it's kind of looking at different um, tactics. And then there's like larger campaigns in relation to refugee um, and migrant communities, as well as um, media um, specifically in the ACT. Um, I'm running a campaign for um, democracy and colour and kind of starting those conversations um, in the ACT. So kind of reaching out to um, communities and um, asking POC communities um, what what is worrying them right now, what what's everyone's concerns right now, and then 
creating um, tactics around those conversations as well. So educational support, providing, um, making sure that political, arbitrary political barriers are Mm. taken away as well, providing ways that community can come together and take collective action and kind of shape and be part of the voices that um, shape um, their own lives um, Mm. as well. So it's kind of, it's at the start um, right now. So hopefully by the end of when I've been contracted to do it, mm. we'll have um, some frameworks and things in place. And from previous work that has been done, there's a bit of like a, like almost like planting a seed. Um, and as soon as there's an empowerment of um, POC communities, um then people are able to share knowledge and information and that continues to grow and keep. So it's about kind of providing those skills um, and starting those conversations as well um, where people can be like, yes, like I can actually have an impact on this. Like these are the, this is the procedural things that are in place (laughs) as well. Like these are the things that I can be doing to engage with the things that I care about. And also, um, yeah, it goes into like a whole myriad of different <laughs> facets of like even knowing like what's there mm. in accessibility of like um, solutions as well, like talking to governor and be like, hey, like why is your solution in an app that's only in English? Let's talk about First Nations peoples. Um, I understand that obviously uh, as Asian Australians, we can't really present ourselves as spokespeople for their plights or, you know, but... What do you think Asian Australians can do to help the plight of First Nations peoples in Australia? Um, there are a lot of um, crossovers in relation to the same. Everyone is kind of underneath the same oppressive structure of white colonialism. Mm. There is a lot of collectivizing within the space, especially looking at decolonizing spaces as well. Um, I think acknowledging that being um, Asian Australian, that um, we are settlers and we are also being a settler as well. You're pulled into whatever systems are dominant within that space. We're benefiting from it. But also where we we also – we have benefits from it, but we're also disadvantaged by Mm, it as mm. we have to come in and embody it, whereas First Nations – groups and indigenous um and indigenous groups um they had a system superimposed onto them a complete loss of self-determination in that space as well Mm. so understanding that structure and that oppressive structure that harms and neglects certain bodies within that space and preferences and privileges certain bodies and voices within that space as well which is in australia um the system that we have here it preferences white bodies Mm. there is a lot of movement in that space where um understanding those oppressive structures and collectivizing with cultured bodies i like to call it um (laughs) then we're able to kind of work to decolonize those spaces and find alternatives to those spaces as well and ensure that voices and a diverse array of voices are heard within that space as well. What I've kind of moved towards is understanding that the norm preferences white bodies. I've moved towards making sure that I preference 
people of color and First Nation bodies in everything that I do. Yeah. For example, if I provide within like community work, making sure that like white people will get there on their own, like they're fine. Um, And then making sure (laughs) that there are systems in place where people can actually have that step up so that they can actually be on the same Mm. platform um, as well. It sounds like quite abstract, um, but what that can play out on the ground is um, making sure that like, um, like diversity quotas and things are put into place, like starting off, like I do think quotas are extremely important Mm. in that it means that people can actually look at um, like, for example, in music, they line up and be like, Hey, like let's put, more people of color, First Nations artists, those artists are represented within that space. And then once there's the element of creating those systems as well, you're able to, like, that'll have a flow on effect as well. Like people will, you'll find more artists like with those, like identifying with those characteristics, ensuring that those um, people have opportunities as well. Um, What I started doing, so when I like started Looking for music, I was like, especially in like specific genres, I was like, oh my God, like, why is it that when I look on the internet and skim the surface, I, all I have are these like white (laughs) artists because the system is so preferencing of certain bodies. Like if you do that skim level surface searching, like that's what's going to come to you as well. Started, I guess, like decolonizing my music. I started looking for artists in like different spaces as well, making sure that I had a lot of like femme artists um, of color and First Nations artists in like um, when I'm like purchasing music as well. And I've kind of gotten to this point that like when I put a track list together, I don't really have to think about it anymore because I've already done that work and I like look for um, ways in order to, not only change my analytics, but like find ways to connect with um, like find music based on place. So for example, when I look for new artists in China, I will look for like certain clubs and parties that I'll like, I'll look for like their lineup as well. And then I'll listen to radio programs either by those artists or like look up those artists and just do like a heap, like an in-depth stalk. And then from there, I'll be able to like find music that way as well, because that's kind of the system that I found works in that place. Hold up. <laughs> did you just did you just say that you've decolonized your algorithm? You've you have decolonized your algorithm I, for finding music. I think I've just tried to more intentionally like not like just make sure that I have representation in all of the music that I listen to as well. So um, I think starting that process it was quite hard because you kind of when you just sit there and absorb the music around you there is automatically that preference. But then I started putting these in place because I like, that's what I just- Guys, <laughs> this, is, this is why I'm saying that Hazy Ma is one of the most important artists right now in the Australian scene. Did you just hear this fucking shit? She has literally decolonized her music algorithm. Holy fuck. I've never heard of anybody doing that. That's incredible. Um, and obviously it's been leading to such beautiful things like this mix that we're about to hear tonight, um, which again- Thank you so much for putting that together. It has been, uh, some people might've seen my Instagram story before, um, about this, but my God, I, I was just taken on a trip and this trip was emotionally just so, so, so hard. I want to talk about this mix that you've made. 
because it quite genuinely has, uh, for lack of a better word, floored me in a sense where as I was listening to it, it was just, it caught me completely in a trance. I was driving at the time. I was actually meant to meet someone, but I literally texted them halfway through the set and said, I'm going to be 30 minutes late because I simply had to keep driving around and listen to the set because it is fucking wonderful. You've got poetry in there. You have news excerpts. You've got ambiance. What, what, a is this sort of like the norm for you? I mean, this was to me an incredible piece of art that I've only been moved by a few pieces of art before, but never a mix. I've never been moved by a mix, emotionally speaking. This has really done it. The last time I remember feeling like this was when I listened to To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. That, that first album listened through, I was like completely, I was in shock. And then now I'm listening to this and I couldn't even speak to my friend that I was uh, meant to meet at the time. It's incredible because you touched on a lot of, uh, obviously, racial issues um, that go on. There's a beautiful spoken word piece um, that you chucked in there over some tracks as well. What inspires this in you? This actual sort of, this pursuit of creating completely different worlds with your music. I guess with um, mixes, I've kind of moved into creating um, narrative style mixes um, in which I can explore um, topics um, and themes, especially things that are extremely like pertinent and meaningful um, to me as well and Mm -hmm. be able to share not only kind of texts through music as well, but also feeling. So I think the way that music can actually create an emotion and can actually kind of bring life to a text as well and a feeling to a text as well is something that I've found extremely like, yeah, incredible about sound and um, mm. music as well. Um, so, oh, so many kind words. That's okay. I hear a lot of creative freedom and bravery in the sense that, that I know a lot of people, including myself, it, even when I have like a really fucking crazy idea that I really want to execute, right? I don't necessarily have the bravery to act, enact on it with this confidence that it will work out. Like- uh, do you ever feel that anxiety um, putting out something or do you just sort of create and just let it go? I feel so much anxiety um, a lot of the time, but I also recognize that a mix is kind of almost like a time capsule of that that context and that time as well. And I think that mm. that's especially when using like newspaper or like news excerpts and even just like ideas at that time like I feel embarrassed at some of the mixes that I've done um because I can feel the way that I have developed um in those spaces as well and I can I can feel the naivety I think within each of the mixes especially like the narrative mixes I spend so much time listening to so many different things like constantly reading poetry constantly listening to podcasts, um, news, like all of these like other ways of being able to explore ideas. Um, I was like, it was almost like I just wanted to put everything into one space uh, (laughs) so I could just share that and be like, hey, like this is 
these are the texts that you can kind of follow as well. And if you kind of go through some of the source lists, you can keep on reading in those spaces as well. So I think when I started doing radio, I did a source list of further readings that people could do. Knowledge can be extremely inaccessible, um, especially when it's a new space as well. And that frustrates me (laughs) and I want to be able to make sure that everything is accessible. I want to make sure that the music that I play is credited to the artists as well. I want to make sure that like somebody, if somebody's into like, like finds a label through one of the mixes that I've done, like I'm going to be so happy for them. (laughs) So happy for them. Um, So I think that's kind of at the core of the way that I go about um, making mixes as well. I just have like all of these different areas of, I say it's research, like this area of research. And I want to be able to put it into like one place as well. So people can kind of be taken on a journey as well. And also listen to music in a different way as well. Like the, some of these um, pieces, like they, they cover so many like, like areas around racial issues. Um, and in this one, it's especially around um, Asian hate Mm. as well and just being able to kind of hear snippets of that um is kind of a very intimate way of being able to like listen to Mm. those topics um as well and i'm thank you for listening i'm glad you enjoyed the the journey i struggle i actually um tried to put it on again the next day after and i simply couldn't because i remembered just how much emotion (laughs) I sort of went through the first time and I was like, this is, I need a break before I listen to it again, because it will just destroy me again. And I just don't need that right now. (laughs) Uh, Look, I I saw that you put Martin Booty Spoon and LSD XOXO in there, and I fucking love both of them. So uh, I'm very, very happy about that. I want to talk to you about poetry, because in this mix that you've made for us, uh, you have inserted um, excerpts of poetry and performances of poetry um, throughout, at the very least, the first half of this mix, and it is entrancing. Uh, can I ask you, what kind of poetry do you read and what really speaks to your soul when you read poetry? I think the poetry that I've kind of moved towards um, now is finding poetry of um people of color um and also having poetry from writers that um embody i guess some of my like personal um identity traits because i think with poetry sometimes it can be quite abstract mm. and i just remember reading when i first read a chinese australian artist i it was the first time that i read a poem and i was like i just felt seen wow. i would spend a lot of time researching um the poet as well to be able to kind of contextualize things but when i had that experience i was like damn like (laughs) i like i never had that before i was i could just read it without having to like i did end up reading about the um um the writer as well but i found that because i had so many like correlations um with the way they spoke about culture and experience i was just able to read that and I just understood um, as well. So I think I've started to make sure that I, yeah, I've 
either like gone through the process of like researching about the artist so I can contextualize the poetry itself. Um, and then I also um, like to read artists that um, I have like a lot of overlap. So um, a lot of like pe- queer um, people of color and especially like Asian writers. So for my last question for you, Hazima, Alicia, Miss Weatherby, if you will, if you could pull the strings of the Australian electronic music scene, what would you do? Let me get out my list. Oh, yes. All right. I think that I would provide financial support to those that are disadvantaged within the system right now. So Mm. a lot of the issues in the electronic music scene is around um, especially like mainly like white bodies having wealth and being, for example, the owners of venues Mm. and not wanting to take away any of the power um, that's associated and opportunities that's associated with and control that's associated with that as well. So I would, um, I would just kind of put in (laughs) um, more threads Mm -hmm. and make sure that um, other bodies can actually have like create their own opportunities as well and be able to sustain themselves um, as well. um, And just make sure that the, there is, preferencing because right now there is so much disparity and so much (laughs) systematic issues there just needs to be a period of preferencing femme people of color first nations bodies within that space so it can actually get to a point where there are is is somewhat <laughs> like more diversity in that space, but then also the, the power and money is also shared as well. Yeah. That there are like, for example, like people of color and First Nations people owning venues in order to be able to like share, create those lineups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be, I think that's definitely where I would at the very least start. That's item number one. Making sure that bodies can be safe within spaces as well. Um, I mm. do believe that um, having spaces that are for certain bodies is so important. Um, yeah. For example, having a space that preferences, for example, like um, people of colour bodies as well allows, um, like all of the other spaces can be taken up by like white <laughs> people. Like that's fine. Just like being able to carve out that space where people can actually feel safe is so so important as well. So making mm. sure that there are more opportunities for those spaces to be had and for those spaces not to be compromised by, for example, like um, I've just I have, like had venues like people can have like safe space policies and all of these things. And then the venue yeah. is just like, Oh, like we want like walk-ins because we want to make more money at this point. And it just like, it completely comp like you can have safe space policies in place, but having, yeah. I guess like bodies that that party is not intended, yeah, it yeah, changes yeah. that like there becomes like a shift within that space as well. Like for example, like dominant queer bodies hold up um, that space with integrity, yeah. but when that, that power shifts and there might be like, I don't know. Like, a gentrification of that space. Exactly. Or like just like a heap of like cis white males coming into that space, mm. changing that like dynamic. Um, it like, that's when 
those spaces no longer become safe. Mm. So ensuring that there are spaces for certain bodies to be able to thrive and feel comfortable within is extremely important. So I'd, you know, find ways to be able to do that without having to be shaped by um, ancillary <laughs> organizers <laughs> like other people as well. You know what? I might ask you one more question before we go in. Enjoy this beautiful, beautiful piece of art that you've made for us here, here right here on Area 3000. Thank you so much for this once again. One more question for you before we wrap up. Not just in music, but in your personal life, just altogether. When do you feel most safe? I think right now where I feel most safe is actually um, in my home. Mm -hmm. Just moved into a household that's um, queer POC. Mm. <laughs> it's has been one of like, yeah, I just feel very, very happy and cared for and like loved within this space as well. Um, I think also when I'm spending time with like my close friends, shout out to Rebecca and um, Sarita. Um, <laughs> um, when I'm able to just be in a space where I am seen with accuracy um, is one of the space, like that's where I'm able to feel most grounded and settled and safe um, as well. And I'm really thankful to be able to have that um, in my home right now. That being said, do you have any housemate spats? <laughs> any any struggles or arguments? Someone leaving out the toilet paper rolls without putting them in the bin? They actually haven't really. <laughs> we only kind of just moved in. Oh, uh, okay. So, you've yet to see it. <laughs> um, it's really been really, really good. I think, like, um, there's a lot of, like, care um, and a lot of, like, food sharing. Um, just having food be an extension of care mm, and mm. just an exchange of, like, culture as well has been so so special alicia i hope that in this hour that we've been speaking to you today well rather that i've been speaking to you that you feel like you could feel safe um speaking to us about all of the questions that i've given you um and that you uh, you feel appreciated um in the sense that i mean I don't know if I've communicated this properly, but I probably have in very crass terms. But I am just so, so, so honored and and uh, grateful to have you on this show and for the opportunity to be able to speak to you. You truly present yourself as someone that has deep intellectualizations of not just music, but also everything else that you're passionate about surrounding the space. So including things like environmentalism, including things about racial issues as well, um, and uh, all other sorts of inequalities that unfortunately plague the scene that we have here today. It is so nice to know that you are so thoughtful about these things and that you not only are thoughtful, but also enact as much as you can to improve this environment, not just for yourself, but for everybody as well. And so I'm thankful and I'm grateful, and I'm sure everybody else that has met or worked with you before uh, feels the same. So thank you once again. Um, thank you so, so much for having me. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I'm really grateful to be able to um, have this conversation with you and also, I guess, share this um, piece as well. Um, Thank you for this opportunity. You heard it right here, folks. We are about to dig into one of the 
you know what? We are about to dig into my favorite mix that has been uploaded onto the show so far, courtesy of Hazy Ma herself. Thank you once again for tuning in and wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are listening to Spinning Around on Area 3000 playing Hazy Ma right now. <laughs> 